You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today as we gather together, uh, smelling like good breakfast food and enjoying God's word and time together singing to him. And so, uh, you know, over yesterday and today, perhaps you might have been tricked into thinking that uh, it sure feels like summer. No, some of you weren't duped, okay? But it does. Summer does feel like it's right around the corner. And I know if we can imagine... If we can think about for a moment what a Minnesota Midwestern summer feels like, that brings up some feelings in people and it, it brings up some memories. So for some of you, when you think of summer, you think of campfires, right? It's campfire season. Or perhaps you think of the tail end of the summer of going to the state fair and trying all the weird and interesting food that's there. Perhaps you think lakes, spending time at the lake or at the cabin. For many of you, though, fishing and uh, fishing would, would have to be a part of summer. It just feels like summer. So I brought with me a, a fishing pole this morning, and my prefrontal cortex did talk me out of trying to like cast this out. I tried it this morning, and I really want to. <laughs> it's just cotton balls wrapped in tape. Uh, but this will be our object lesson, and if, if for, by any chance someone happens to be like nodding off from the brunch, maybe I can give a little flick or something. Right? Oh, see? Look at that. That would have worked. Okay. We'll leave this here. Okay. Now, uh, if it, when it comes to fishing in Minnesota, I think there's kind of like a rite of passage, and it's catching a walleye, right? You know you're a Minnesota fisherman if you catch a walleye. And uh, believe it or not, I've fished a lot of years, right? Uh, not as many as some of you. But uh, it took me a long time to actually catch my first walleye. It was the summer of 2018. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago, right? But I can remember like it was yesterday. Uh, I was fishing with my parents. We were on a small lake just outside of the Twin Cities area, and I got a nibble, and, and the nibble turned into a bite, and, and after a, quite a long struggle, it felt like two hours, uh, I, I reeled in this. This is my first walleye. Can we pull the picture up? <gasps> no, 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 no. no. Oh. Go back one. Just one more. There we go. There's me, right? <laughs> That's my first walleye, right? Now, you might think that looks kind of small, uh, taking... T- Taking a picture from the other angle, though, uh, it looked kind of like this, right? Emily, now we can throw up the next one. There, there we go. Now better. Uh, It's all about the angle. Now, some of you are wondering, like, there are people in this room that uh, could teach you how to hold a fish in front of a camera to make it look bigger than it actually is. You can talk to Dan or Corey Kowalski. They'd love to show you how that works to hold the right angle. Yes, it works, works. How to hold a fish. This morning, as we consider our series that we've been going through on our statements of purpose here at Triumph, we think of God's plans for our church, and those become our purpose. And so today becomes the final uh, day of this series that we've been walking through throughout this month looking at these. And these are four statements of purpose that as we as a church have looked together, we've kind of said, all right, if, if, if this is who we are, if these things define what we are about, if we can do these things well, then odds are we're going to have some gospel impact, not just within our own church family, but in our community and beyond. And so we spent some time at the beginning of the month, we looked at worship, we looked at discipleship, last week we looked at care, 
And this week we wrap up our fourth statement of purpose by looking at evangelism. And as defined in our statement of purpose, evangelism reads like this. We say, it is essential that we as a congregation share Christ's burden to see souls saved. This is accomplished by integrating both the awareness of lostness and the availability of the gospel into all areas of ministry across the street and around the world. Now, when you hear the word evangelism, that can be such a loaded term, especially these days. We're not going there yet or really at all today, but there's definitely some misconceptions that are out there, right? For some people, when they hear the, the word evangelism, they think, oh, yeah, those are the people that like stand on the street corner and shout things at other people, right? Or uh, to be an evangelist means you, you go to door to door and knock on doors and, and, and when they answer, say, can I tell you about Jesus, right? Is that, is that true? Is that evangelizing? Well, yes. Is that the only thing or the primary thing? No. For some people, uh, the idea of evangelizing means that I have to hop on a plane and go to another country. Not necessarily, right? Evangelism is much more than that. We'll unpack that today as we look into God's word. But it struck me as I was thinking about this one, and in conjunction with the other three we've been looking at, there's a misconception that can even be in our statements of purpose when we think of worship and discipleship and care and evangelism. There can be a misconception within the church to go, you know, man, as I look at these four things, I am so glad that my church does those things. I am so glad that the pastor or the elders or the staff, I'm glad they think this is a big deal. And I just enjoy them thinking it's a big deal. This is not a paid staff thing. This is not a pastor thing. This is not an elder. This is a we thing. We do this together, these four. We all are a part of these things together. And so I, I felt that early on in the series. Like, man, you know, it would be too bad to just kind of go through these things and go, well, glad. I'm glad someone's worrying about that. Well, no, that's an all of us thing. And so today, as we look at God's word, it's going to help us define and unpack just a little bit more about this fourth one, evangelism, and its place in the life of a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting, as Jesus talked about evangelism in God's word, in the Bible, he likened it to fishing. So hence we get a carpenter's guide to fishing as we look at evangelism in the context of fishing. And there's going to be some fishing principles that are inherent within evangelism that we're going to look at and how they parallel each other. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start there. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read Jesus' words in this interaction with his disciples. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 22. And it reads like this, starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So as we look at these fishing principles, the first principle that we're going to look at that is inherent in Jesus teaching us a little bit more about what evangelism is and what it means is know what you're fishing for. That's the first principle that Jesus wants to give out. Know what it is that you're fishing for. Now, 
we should have a disclaimer. There's probably an overarching principle here that, first of all, you should recognize that as a follower of Jesus, you are sent to fish. Right? That's kind of inherent in all of these principles. As a follower of Jesus, you are sent out to fish. And so principle number one, know what it is that you're fishing for. We see that in our text for this morning. Obviously, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen by trade. That was their life. That was their livelihood. They knew how to fish for fish. And here Jesus shows up on scene and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're fishing for the wrong thing. Uh, excuse me? Jesus, I'm pretty sure I know how this fishing thing works. No, no, no. You're fishing for the wrong thing. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. Really? Tell me more about that. You can hear the, almost the curiosity just dripping, right? We, we read that immediately they followed him. What does this mean, fishing for people? You know, when, it, when we think about fishing for fish, a fisherman would say that it's important to know a lot about what it is that you're fishing for. You need to know where that fish lives. You've got to have the right location. You've got to understand the habitat for each fish. You have to know the body of water that you're on. You have to have the right tools and the right equipment and the correct bait and the, and the right hook and line, maybe even a boat. Some of you are looking over at your spouse going, yeah, a bigger boat. That would help, right? It might. When it comes to fishing for people, a lot of these principles carry right over, right? You, you need to understand who it is that you're talking to, where it is God has placed you, your context, your situation. You have to have the right tools and equipment to be equipped to fish for people. And for Jesus, as he's talking with these guys, they were throwing nets into the water, into the lake, as their form of fishing. They didn't have a fancy Shakespeare line like, like mine, right? They had nets that they were throwing out there, and Jesus is telling them, you're going to be casting your net. It's the net of the gospel to catch and bring in people for the kingdom of God. That's what you're going to be about. And so one of the things we see early on is that evangelism is connected to, it's a part of discipleship. You can't have one without the other. You, you, you might have read this text and said, oh, this is where we're going? This is Jesus calling his first disciples. Yes, but they're both intertwined. Evangelism is a part of discipleship. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you, some translations say, fishers of men, or like in the one we read today, I will show you how to fish for people. If you think about the church, one of the main purposes of the church is to make disciples. You really couldn't argue that. One of the main purposes of the church is to make disciples. And one of the main ways that the church makes disciples is by telling people about Jesus. They go hand in hand. I wonder for those of you sitting out here this morning, at some point in your life, someone told you about Jesus. Do you remember who that was? Or what the context was? Someone had to tell you about Jesus, and if this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus today, well then, I guess this would count. But someone told you about Jesus. Who was it? Where were you? What's the context? What was your story? For some of you, it could have been like a Sunday school teacher, or a parent, or a grandparent, could have been a pastor. Someone told you. I wonder what that story was like. And then the ongoing story, right? It wasn't just someone telling you, 
It was you responding in faith and the story matures and grows and more people tell you about Jesus. And if you're in a Christian community, you hear about Jesus quite a lot now. Constantly telling people about Jesus, the purpose of the church. Here at Triumph, we, we see that kind of being a big part about what we do, both near and far. We have our, our own ministries and things going on within the church, our local ministry here in this physical location where we tell people about Jesus. We have opportunities to do that in our own community, the surrounding area of the Fargo-Moorhead and greater area. And it even extends across the ocean. We think of uh, the people group that we adopted, Shad, the Balala, right? Part of telling people about Jesus, both locally and globally, near and far. So as we think about God's word and, and what it has to say about evangelism, there's a couple of New Testament words that I want us to look at just for a, a brief moment here. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that kind of encapsulate, they're used all the time to talk about this idea of evangelism. And the first one is euangelion. It's where we get our term evangelism from. It's a Greek word that literally means good news or a good message, right? Something that is worth being repeated as good news. The second one is, is a Greek word martyreo, which we get the word martyr from, and that's to bear witness or to testify about something. And so if you're in court and you've been called to be a martyreo, a called to, be a, a, to testify to something that you've seen, that you've experienced as a firsthand witness, like you can't deny what you've seen. You can't deny what you experience. You, you, you just have to say it as it is, because that's what it is, right? Two common New Testament passages that we see, the first one, Matthew 28, a very common passage, the Great Commission, Jesus sending out his disciples, says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything. Right, this sending out with this good news. And then in Acts 1, Jesus again talking to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That's that word, martyreo, showing up. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So God's word talks about evangelism quite a bit. And it's really often in the context of these two things, sharing good news and being a witness to what Jesus has done, what he said. That's what it means. Evangelism, though, isn't just about a couple of Greek words in the New Testament. It, it really draws us closer to the heart of God. It describes who God is, what he's about, and what he's asked us and invited us into being about as well. The will of God. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I love this. In the small catechism that we look at oftentimes for confirmation, it's the red book for those of you who are confirmed in a Lutheran church, right? Uh, one of the questions, one of the first questions of the book is, what is God's will for you? And the answer is, God's will is that I would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is God's will for me, God's will for you. And so in 1 Timothy 2, we see this in scripture form. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of who he is. That's the baseline will of God. It also describes, evangelism also describes Jesus' purpose here on earth, as Jesus himself describes in, in Luke 19, one of the places in the gospel. Jesus says of himself, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, right? We, saw, we hear that in our statement of purpose on evangelism, an awareness of lostness, not only lostness within ourselves, but lostness in the people and the lives around us. And finally, evangelism isn't just God's will, and it just isn't what Jesus has been about. 
he invites us to join him and be a part of this too. After Jesus had been raised from the dead and he is back and seeing his disciples in, in John 20, Jesus said these words. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With what? With this good news. That I'm no longer dead. That I'm alive. That I'm God's son. That there is forgiveness of sins for people who trust in God, who, who follow me. The good news. So I wonder, for people sitting in this room and for anyone hearing this later, do you or have you ever seen yourself or thought of yourself as a fisher of people? Have you ever thought of yourself as a fisher of people? Jesus and God's word would say pretty clearly that you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a fisher of people. Fishing principle number one, know what you're fishing for. Fishing principle number two, trust your guide. I mean, think about it. If you all of a sudden decided that, you know, I've always wanted to fish in Alaska. I've heard the salmon are just awesome and really fun to catch. I've never been there before, but, but I'm going to go. I'm going to charter a plane. I'm going to pay a lot of money to go there, and uh, I'm just going to just wing it. I'm going to show up on the water and just hope I catch something. You probably wouldn't do that. That'd be kind of a waste of time and money. You would probably hire a guide who knows what he's doing or she's doing and shows you the best place to go and how to catch salmon and the type of equipment you'd need. And you need to take their word for it because they would know. In the same way, if you're not like hopping on a plane to Alaska and you're like, uh, you know, I, I've got a, we've got a cabin up north and, and, uh, and you know, there's a new lake I've, I've just wanted to try fishing at. You, again, you probably don't just drive there and put your boat in the water and see what they, what's there. You maybe ask somebody, like, oh, I know, so-and-so has a, a, lake, a, a cabin on that lake. Maybe they know. Maybe they can tell me where the best spots are. And you take their word for it. You trust your guide. I've always found this passage to be quite interesting, and, and perhaps you've noticed this too. It's, it can be quite natural for us to read this text or any of the texts about Jesus calling his first disciples and be really perplexed and kind of impressed by their response to Jesus. Like, can you believe it? Jesus walked up on the lake shore and just told these guys to follow him and they dropped everything and they went with them. That's amazing. I could never do that. That's, that's just quite a miraculous opportunity or extension of faith. And I don't want to knock their choice but I also want to set this in the context of, for the most part, these four guys already had a prior connection or relationship with Jesus. They knew who he was. They had spent time with him. In, in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, we read that they had a prior relationship. But Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist, and he then becomes a follower of Jesus, and they're probably at, with Jesus at the wedding in Cana to see his first miracle of turning water into wine. And so this is after the fact. So it's not this stranger coming up to them and saying, hey, you should spend time with me. They knew and understood Jesus to be someone pretty spectacular, someone quite remarkable. Maybe not entirely sure what to make of him yet, but he was intriguing. They were aware of him. It's also interesting to think about this context. In, in those days, Jesus, obviously, is a rabbi. He's a teacher. And what rabbis would do is they'd go around and they'd gather a following of students, but they wouldn't do that by just saying, hey, I'm available. You should come study with me. A student or someone hoping to be a student would approach a rabbi, would approach a teacher and say, rabbi, could I study under you? 
I want to learn to do what you do. I want to follow you. I want to copy your behavior and imitate you so that someday I can do what you do and gather my own circle of followers. And, and, and it goes on and on. Notice what happens in this case. Jesus, as rabbi, goes to prospective students, except these guys are not prospective students. And Jesus asks them to spend time with him. There's a uniqueness, there's an intentionality of Jesus approaching the disciples. It's like the fishing guide asking you off the plane, like, hey, would you spend time with me? I'll, I'll teach you how to fish. That's usually not how it works. You hire the fishing guide, not the other way around. And here Jesus is coming to these guys. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now think of these, think of these disciples, think of these four. They're fishermen. They've been doing this for a long time. They know who Jesus is. And who's Jesus? He's a, he's a rabbi. And before that, he was the son of a carpenter. Okay, you're going to teach us about fishing, Jesus? I'm pretty sure I got the fishing thing down. That's my area. Okay, you stay in your lane, and I'll handle the fishing. Except how many times in the gospel do we read that the disciples were out all night not catching anything and there's Jesus standing on the shore shouting out, hey, wh why don't you try the other side of the boat? <laughs> okay, let's humor the carpenter. And they drop their nets and it's overflowing with fish. Does Jesus know something about fishing? Yes, in both the physical and the spiritual sense. Trust your guide. Jesus, in saying these words, follow me, it's like he's saying, trust me on this one. Think about it. For the disciples, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to being fishers of people, these guys are not equipped. They are totally underqualified. They have absolutely no knowledge of what this even means or how to do it. And Jesus says, trust me. Follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. I'll send you out to fish for people. And what he's saying there, it's a future tense, which Jesus is saying, at the end of this, as I make you into a fisher of people, you're going to be way better at catching people than you ever were at catching fish. You stick with me, and I'll lead you there. What a remarkable statement for Jesus to say. And isn't that the essence of the gospel, this good news? You think about this for you and me. On our own, we are not worthy of anything God gives us that is good. We are not qualified to do this. We are not equipped. We have absolutely no credentials, and yet Jesus seeks us. Jesus comes to find us. Jesus calls us. He equips us. He qualifies us. He makes us. That's the process of sanctification, of the Holy Spirit's renewing work every day, making us more and more like Jesus. Jesus says, all right, you're a sinful, messy, broken person. You watch what I make you. You just stick with me. And he turns us and transforms us into something that we could never imagine or do on our own. That's the gospel. So know what you're fishing for. Trust your guide. And lastly, the third fishing principle. Be aware 
Be observant. Be patient. I'll never forget one of the first times I took my kids out on a fishing boat. There was so much excitement. They had their little fishing poles and their tackle box, and they had their uh, life jackets that kind of made them all scrunched up like they could hardly breathe. Right, but they were ready. They were ready to catch some fish. And we got out on the boat with my dad and, and we're tooling around the lake. And, uh, you know, after about five minutes, so when are we going to catch something? Or, I'm hungry. Do you have something to eat? Or, I'm bored. When can we go back in? I'm thinking, it's been five minutes. I was kind of hoping for 30 or more, right? They were bored. Fishing can take a long time. Fishing takes immense patience. Evangelism can take immense patience and time. As we wrap up our time together, I want, to, I want us to hit us with a couple of just really practical things that we can take away from this that, that God's word steers us to. But the first one is this, that, that evangelism typically happens in relationship, right? Right? Think about it. As Jesus approaches these guys to win them over to follow him, there was an awareness, a knowledge of who he was. There had been a prior connection with him. As Jesus talks to people, he, he forms a relationship with them. Evangelism happens in the context of a relationship, and it's within those relationships that God's word says, be aware, be observant. 1 Peter 3 says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we should always be prepared. Always be aware that there could be, who knows what situation I'm going to stumble across, a conversation, an interaction with somebody that I might be asked to explain, like, well, what gives you hope in life? How come you respond or react that way when no one else is? Am I ready for an answer? Am I ready with an answer? Where are the places that God has put you to do this? Perhaps you have families or friends or classmates or teammates or coworkers. Do they all know about Jesus? Might there be an opportunity where they will ask you a question that requires an answer? Are we aware or observant when they do? We have next door neighbors. I love this quote. G.K. Chesterton says, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Why? Because they're right there. <laughs> you know, the idea of evangelism really is steps away. It starts in your home. You've got family. You've got extended family. And you've got these people that live right next to you. Who are the people in your life that are right there? And then it's not only that. It's just the everyday interactions, right? It's being aware and observant for those everyday interactions. Uh, I, I, this happens a little too often, but uh, it, it's becoming less of a thing, uh, oftentimes I'll be put in situations where like, I'm getting my hair cut, right? And, and I cannot stand awkward silence. But I'm a little crazy with it. So like, even if it's like a half a second where someone's like pausing to take a breath, that's awkward silence to me. So I need to fill in the space with a question. 
So if you're ever in a conversation with me and you're like, Ben, ask a lot of questions. I'm genuinely concerned. I am. I am. I'm genuinely curious. But I also never want there to be a lapse in the conversation, right? So, so I'm getting my hair cut, and of course, it's like the, the world of small talk, just painful, right? And so I'm interviewing the person cutting my hair, because I don't want to sit there for 20 minutes, right? Uh, every once in a while, they get a word in, and uh, it's happened a couple times, but uh, one of the more recent times, the, the woman cutting my hair says, the classic, oh, so what do you do? Okay, how do I answer this? Uh, I work with people. No. Uh, finally say, I'm a pastor. And then I brace myself for whatever she's going to say to that. I said, I'm a pastor. She says, what's that like? Excuse me? <laughs> what's that like? Huh. Well, let me tell you. No, no. Okay. What's that like? That wasn't like, a, oh, that's nice and move on. She wanted to know, like, what's that like? So we had a conversation. Not that I won her over to Jesus, right? But wow, where did that come from? Out of the blue question that required an answer that points somewhere, right? What's that like? Who are the people in your life that are right there? What are the interactions that just pop up out of the blue that go, where did that come from? Now, I don't say that as, as a way to say like, oh yeah, I always take advantage of those opportunities. No, and neither do you. We don't, right? But are we aware? Are we asking for eyes to see or ears to hear those interactions as they come? Last but not least, I'd say this. Probably your greatest testimony, your greatest witness is just you in your story, in your life. The way God has moved and worked in good times and bad times and hard times and easy times and all the times in between. More often than not, when people think about you, it's not like a, oh, look how this person just has it all together all the time. What, they, what draws them to you is like, they're going through a really difficult time and they've got this peace and confidence about them that I'd be going crazy right now. What is with that person? Tell me more about that in the context of a relationship. Your story and your experience. The Apostle Paul knew this well. In, in 1 Timothy 1, he's talking uh, and, he, and he says, I, Paul's like, this is my story. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Your story is really all you need. How has God worked and moved in your life? How has God given you grace in your mess and in your brokenness, and as that's seen and as that's talked about, people begin to wonder and ask questions, and your life becomes a living testimony for others to see. God is a God of incredible patience. He's the ultimate fisherman. He's patient with me, and he's patient with you. Second, Tim Second Peter 3 the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This good news that we have to share about Jesus is some pretty good news. And it's better than any fish story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to your, uh, for your word to us this morning in the ways that it challenges us, the ways that it brings us comfort. Lord, we recognize that as we think about this topic about evangelism, that uh, this is pretty close and near and dear to your heart. It's the purpose you came, to tell us about the love of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we recognize that as a part of being one of your followers, that we're invited into this to be a part of this telling and this sharing. As you send us to the people around us, as you send us with the message of good news. And so, Lord, as we live our lives, as we go about our days, help us to um, be aware and observant to the ways that you're working, not just in our own lives and in our own hearts, but in the lives of those around us. And as there is opportunity, you have a share with confidence and boldness and gentleness and respect as we meet people where they're at, as we share and show them a little bit more about your love each day. Thank you again for this opportunity to be together to look at these things. Go with us as we head from this place. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or streaming this content today. We try and pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again and may the Lord bless you.